Lots of the crack comrades. Welcome back to Sam and Casey's Movie Club. I'm Casey. And I'm Sam. And today we have a double feature of two more recent, more mainstream movies, so as to not <laughs> alienate our audience. Yes, the huge audience that we have. Yes. Mm, yeah, so uh, today we're talking about Ready or Not and Knives Out. Which are two movies, they both came out in 2019, I think? Yes. Yes. Um, we wanted to talk about rich people for an episode, so... We We've never talked talk about, about capitalism on this episode, it is not a common theme at all. Yeah. Shockingly, yes. we're talking about capitalism. Um, so, yeah, I decided I want to talk about these two. I don't know why I associate them so strongly together because I didn't watch them at the same time at all um but yeah I guess movies about rich people and mansions and uh murder very similar so Mm -hmm. I want to talk about them cool uh yeah I feel like I don't have that that much to say about these movies I'm sure I will find something but I don't know Uh, me, me neither yeah I just wanted to tell people that I like these movies so cool so that's the episode. Thank you for listening. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, which one are we starting with? Will we start with Knives Out? Uh, okay, sure. Okay, uh, and this is a movie, as our listeners might know, by Ryan Johnson. And it stars a whole bunch of people who we'll talk about soon. <laughs> uh, what, what is it about? Okay, so I am... Uh, I usually I make my own synopsis, but I did that and then my laptop crashed, so I lost them and I wasn't going to do it again. Oh, you so... like write these down? <laughs> I thought you were improvising. No, because it takes a lot more energy to do that. But this time I'm going to be reading the like Wikipedia ones and also <laughs> talking about them. So we'll see how this goes. Cool. Okay. Um, so, yes, the plot of Knives Out is the family of Harlan Thromby, who is a rich, like, storybook writer, mystery story writer, um, has his 85th birthday party at his, like, mansion, um, and he invites uh, all of his kids and his family, um, and, uh... So the next morning after uh, this, like, huge party, uh, the housekeeper, Fran, finds him dead with his throat slit, and the police are called, and they say that they believe Harlan's death to be a suicide. But private detective Benoit Blanc was anonymously hired to investigate this uh, incident, Um, so he is like interviewing the other family members um, and he learns that he's had Harlan has had a strained relationship with all of his kids um, and on the day of his party he uh, threatened to expose his son-in-law Richard for cheating on his wife Harlan's daughter Linda he cut off his daughter Joni's allowance for stealing from him 
he fired his son Walt from his publishing company and he had an altercation with his grandson Ransom. So like any of them could have had it out for him. Um, so yes, then we learn that after the party, Harlan's nurse, Marta Cabrera, uh, accidentally mixed up his medication and uh, because of that accidentally overdosed him with morphine um, and she couldn't find the antidote. So uh, she, like both her and Harlan, thought that he was going to die. And so Harlan, wanting to save Marta and her family from scrutiny because her mother was uh, an undocumented immigrant so he wanted to like give her an alibi uh he gave her instructions to like go downstairs and pretend to be him like uh, lots of instructions like a whole thing basically so uh they made it look like she had already left at the time of his death so she wouldn't be implicated in his murder um it turns out that Marta can't lie without vomiting. So uh, Benoit uh, kind of involves her in the investigation. Um, and he's like, she's like his main point of contact for like communicating with the family. Um, yes, yeah, so she's like, <laughs> she is like, messing stuff up in the investigation because if if she was to like let the investigation go on uh as it would she would have been implicated because she like fucked up a few things in this alibi creation scenario um but yeah when harlan's will is read um it turns out that he left all his assets and his house and everything that he owned to Marta um, and not his family. So they like attack her. <laughs> they like ask her to give everything back because they're like, you are not blood. You don't deserve all of this money. Um, uh, what's her name? Linda asks her if she was fucking Harlan because that's like the only way she can accept it. Although, okay, <laughs> she side deserves note. Money. I have yes. I have a very important question. Would you fuck Harlan? <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. Yeah, because he's like still pretty hot. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not the point. Marta okay. wasn't fucking him. Sure. <laughs> So, yeah, Marta is left the sole beneficiary of all of his assets. And um, Ransom helps her escape the family's wrath, but he manipulates her into confessing that she switched uh, Harlan's medications. Um, and he offers to help her in exchange for his share of the inheritance. Um, as the other... The rest of the family try to persuade Marta to renounce the inheritance and to give it back. Um, Walt threatens to expose her mother's immigration status, so all of the family are like threatening to ruin her. Um, Marta also receives an anonymous blackmail note, which is just the header of Harlan's toxicology report. 
Um, so she's like, someone else knows that she switched the medication and she is going to be exposed. Um, so when she shows Ransom this and they drive to the medical examiner's office, they see that it's been burned down. So there's no longer any proof um, of like, there's no longer any proof of uh, anyway, never mind. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, then Marta receives like an anonymous email from her blackmailer is like, meet me at this place. Um, and when she goes there, uh, she finds Fran, who is like, like dying. Um, and Fran, she thinks, tells her, like, you did this. Um, so she thinks like Fran, she thinks Fran knows about her switching the medications. And she thinks Fran blames her for it. Um, but because Fran is dying, because uh, she's been injected with morphine, um, Marta decides to stay and try and save her life. And she calls uh, an ambulance for her. And then some other stuff happens, whatever. Uh, anyway, yeah, at some point, Benoit figures out what actually happened, which is like one that, that Marta thinks that she killed your man, but also <laughs> that <laughs> really this was all ransoms so okay so yeah okay finds out because fran also mentions that there's an extra copy of the toxicology report in her like weed stash and uh marta goes to get it and gives it to benoit without looking at it and he reads it and it turns out that the toxicology report came back normal like he hadn't been uh poisoned like everything was fine he was given the correct dose of medication and stuff so it turns out that ransom had switched the med- like the medication but he hadn't switched the bottles he had like taken the medicine out of the bottle and switched them so to marta it would look like she's grabbing the bottle that says more like that says morphine on it but it wouldn't actually be morphine it would be the other thing um but because marta is such a good nurse she could tell by the the viscosity or something yeah of the liquid which one was actually which so um she didn't when she was actually like that night when she was actually administering the medication to harlan she unintentionally switched them back because she just knew which was the correct medicine so she had given him the correct dosage um and if he hadn't had slit his throat he would have been fine um and all this is revealed by benoit uh and then ransom yeah, Fran saw Ransom tampering with the crime scene, and that's why she um, was, like, involved at all. She had originally sent the blackmail thing to Ransom, but he, so he knew that, <laughs> she had originally sent the blackmail to Ransom, so he knew that she knew something, and she, he knew that Marta had accidentally like switched the medication back, but she thought she had killed Harlan, so he used that to blackmail Marta, um, and he's the one who like killed Fran. Um, 
Yeah, and then at the end, he, like, confesses to... Uh, yeah, because, because Marcia okay, like, yeah. lies about Fran yes. dying. He confesses. Uh, he thinks that Fran is alive and well, and he's and she's going to like tell the police what happened. So he also, confesses to trying like, to kill her and like tries to stab Marta. Yeah, because also he's like really rich. He has like lawyers, so he's like, "Oh, you're not going to give me much for manslaughter. I'll be fine." Yeah. But then it turns out that Fran actually did die, but they got his confession of killing her on uh, tape. Or uh, Yeah, one of the other cops is recording. Um, so he will go to jail for full murder, not just manslaughter. Yes. Well, like, sorry, not even like attempted manslaughter, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, so he grabs one of the knives that are that's like in this big decorative chair in Harlan's office or whatever they are and tries to stab Marta, but it turns out it's a retractable knife. (laughs) So yeah, he doesn't. Um, Yeah. And that's it. He goes to jail and Marta gets the house because she didn't kill Harlan. Mm -hmm. The end. Cool. Um, This is not a, not, not a great movie to like try to, synopsize that's not a word you know summarize yeah. <laughs> uh yes okay so i did not love this movie why like i think most most of it was just that when it came out like i didn't watch it right away so i'd like heard other people talking about it and everyone was like it's amazing and then it was like really hyped up so then when i actually got to watch it i was like eh, it's fine i guess uh yeah, and on my second but it viewing, is amazing. Is it <laughs> in my yeah. second viewing? That was still my reaction. It's fine, I guess. It's probably fun to watch with like a group of people, or maybe like a family. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. It was it was fine. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why you're being so hateful. Listen, <laughs> now I will say Ryan Johnson is married to Karina Longworth, and that makes him cool. So I have nothing against him. Um, I don't know who that is. She's the like uh, the person who makes the podcast. You must remember this, which just restarted today, the day that we are recording for the new for a new season. So for that wow. reason, I respect him. <laughs> Sorry, about <laughs> not like also. Didn't he also do a Star Wars? Is that the same Ryan Johnson? Yes. Yeah, he wow. made the the second the I don't fifth, really care whatever. I don't either just, I know I've seen his name before so yeah we're not, <laughs> we're not gonna talk about Star Wars <laughs> mostly because I have nothing to say about it um I personally loved this movie I love mysteries I love whodunits I love detectives with cool accents like everything about it was just like tailor-made for me it was amazing mm-hmm I do, I do, I don't know. I love the movie Clue, but I just feel like I could have rewatched Clue and I would have had a better time. Okay, whatever. Uh, but yes, okay, so maybe that's a good starting Is point. Is Tony Collette in Clue? I don't think so, so. No, but other people are, whatever. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's start with the accent then. What, what do we have to say about Daniel Craig's southern allegedly accent (laughs) i can understand why rachel weiss is married to him when he does that 
I can like I can see it. I'm not as mad at her. Interesting. I have heard yeah. I've heard very interesting rumors about Daniel Craig and Rachel Weiss's marriage, which I will not repeat on this podcast because I don't want to get sued for why? Tell Lander. me. I'll cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> I've just heard that they're both bi and open and that they like <laughs> like to have threesomes or whatever. And Isn't that literally every Hollywood couple, though? Not everyone. Maybe, mm-hmm. like, a good percentage. Anyway, if you don't cut this out, <laughs> hello, I'm interested. Just say allegedly and they can't do anything. If if this this alleged rumor were true... <laughs> You can contact me on Twitter by email. <laughs> yeah, yes. I would also like to hear about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, something we don't talk in- about with regards to Daniel Craig enough, in my opinion, is that he once played Joe in Angels in America alongside Jason <laughs> Isaacs as Lewis. I think uh, about this often. Okay. Yes cool (laughs) okay the accent what I have to say about the accent is that I truly believe that film stars should not talk like real people they should not act like real people and I think I think old Hollywood understood understood this but over the years we have forgotten so thank you to this movie for (laughs) for understanding this for remembering this and giving us this gift Uh, I agree I'm not watching movies to hear people talk like they do in real life. That's so boring. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts on any other cast members? Um, Chris Evans is in it. Uh. I don't really have any thoughts about that. I just think, I think it's interesting seeing Chris Evans try and play a villain. He's very bad at it. <laughs> He's just bad at acting. I have heard that. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was okay. Uh, who else is in it? Yeah, this is our second Tony Collette movie on our podcast. Um, this, yeah, this is also our second Chris Evans movie, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I feel about Ana de Armas because I feel like I I probably would like her if I saw her in something else. She seems quite charismatic, but this is the only thing I've seen her in, and I feel like she doesn't have much to work with, which I will maybe talk about in a minute. Yeah, whatever. I don't have anything else to say about any other cast members, so... <laughs> cool. Uh, <laughs> okay, then let's just discuss the movie, I guess. Uh, okay, one thing. I'll, I'll start with complimenting some things about the movie. So... I like the production the production design a lot. I would lo- love to live in that house. It's a great house. Well done mm-hmm. on that. Yes. Yes, that's all, I think that's all I had to say. Um I will say, okay, I watched <laughs> I watched that like YouTube video of Ryan Johnson like breaking down a scene from it, which I did enjoy a lot. Um and in it he mentions that they tried to make like the film was shot digitally, but they tried to make it look like film. And I don't think it's convincing. I, I've never seen a movie shot on fil- uh, like digitally that doesn't look like it's shot, digi- it's shot digitally. It doesn't work. You can always tell that it's not yeah. film. So, but uh, why wouldn't you just shoot it on film if you want it to look like it was shot on film? I guess because there are a lot of advantages to film uh, to filming digitally, like. 
Yeah, there's more constraints for film. Like, there's certain things that you can't do. Or he talks about in this, like, you need, like, more artificial lighting. So you have to worry about that. Uh, I don't know. It might be more expensive, maybe. I'm not sure. I do. This I, is the movie yeah. that... Wait, before you say that. This is the movie that everyone on Twitter talks about the... Um, in one of the scenes where Marta is walking out of the house, followed by all the thrombies, like, attacking her, it goes from, like, a, I don't know, whatever you call a stationary camera, like a stationary shot to a handheld, and everyone fucking loses their mind over it. Um, I thought it was really cool. I just like to see I don't actually know anything about making movies or cinematography <laughs> but I love seeing other people talk about it so people who get excited about like handheld shots um, keep it up. I love that. I love to see it. Mm-hmm. I do think this is like a well made movie in terms of like technical stuff and like the actors yeah. in it for the most part are doing a good part with notable exceptions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want all of this to just be attacking Chris Evans. Yeah, okay, that's the end of it. We're not talking about him anymore. <laughs> okay, I don't know. Maybe let's talk about, like, what this movie is trying to do. Um, I think it's trying to say that, like, you can beat capitalism by being a good person, which is uh, nonsense. I feel like um, it's not, but okay, go on. <laughs> I mean, what do you think it's trying to say? Uh, I don't, I don't think it's anti-capitalist, and I don't think Ryan Johnson is a communist. I mean, that's true. I, I feel like it is, like, it's making fun of rich people. It's, like, maybe making fun of a particular brand of liberal, but I don't think it goes so far as being anti-capitalist, and it's not, like, at no point in this movie does anyone try to defeat capitalism. I think, if anything, Marta is more, like, the exceptional minority who, like, manages to make it and succeed like she doesn't she doesn't destroy the system she just happens to win in this within the system yeah yeah i don't know i find it weird that people try to posit it as this anti-capitalist thing you can still like it without it being anti-capitalist uh we should have to explain that there's plenty of things i like that aren't like death to capitalism (laughs) uh it just isn't that i don't think yeah that's fair Okay, um, I don't know. Let's talk a bit about what it wants to do with the genre. I have a quote here that I thought was interesting. This is from an article in The Guardian with Mark Kermode. Uh, it says, describing his thrillingly playful attitude toward genre cinema, writer-director Ryan Johnson once told me that he loved the, quote, slightly meta conversation it opens between you and the viewer, unquote, the way that a shared set of ground rules can be assumed and then subverted. And yeah, this is, to me, is definitely a movie that is very aware of the genre that it's using, and it's like using it as a tool, and it's kind of expecting the audience to know how the genre works. Mm. I don't know, any, you said you like mysteries, any thoughts on (laughs) this as a murder mystery? (laughs) I mean, I do remember watching a YouTube video. I'll see if I can find it and put it in the show notes. But it talks about how it switches between, like, different types of detective stories. It, like, switches from it, like switches from one to another type and then back to the first type, depending on 
what the audience knows about what actually happened and what the characters know. Um, because in the beginning, like we are kind of discovering things as Benoit does uh, discovers them. Um, but uh, and then kind of in the middle, we know what happened, what actually happened on the night uh, with Marta and Harlan. Um, and yeah, and then at the end, we get to see the we get to see Benoit figure it out, and we get to see how characters react to learning the truth. So I'll see if I can find that. Um, mm-hmm. I think video, I might have but... seen the the thumbnail of it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It was really cool. Interesting. Um, and that's I will. Like... I will watch it if it shows up again in my recommendations. Yeah, I'll see if I can find it. But yeah, it's cool to have that kind of, like, feel like you're involved in the story in that way. I think that's why I like detective stories so much, because it kind of encourages you to actually engage with what's happening and, like, trying to figure it out. And you get to feel, like, very smart if you guessed who did it or whatever. (laughs) So, yeah, it's interesting. Okay. I have another quote here about how it plays with the the genre, maybe. This is from Variety, but uh, it's an article by Peter de Bruges, maybe. Um, So, quote, in other crime movies, such reenactments have been known to be unreliable, bent to reflect the testimony as it's heard, a kind of Rashomon-like trick to keep the viewer guessing. Here, the vignettes depict the truth, amusingly revealing the omissions and lies in each speaker's story, unquote. Sorry, I should have given context before I said that, but this is about all the flashbacks that we see, obviously. Um... Mm. Yeah, I thought that was interesting because it didn't occur to me the first time I watched it. And then I I drew this connection while I was half asleep. And then I like wrote up to, to write it down. I was like, like Marta, the movie does not lie to us. Instead, it carefully omits parts of the truth. Wow. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this, this seemed very profound at like 1 a.m. when I was like, wait. <laughs> Uh, yes, I do. I like. I'm not a fan of the vomiting thing. It seems like gimmicky to me. But uh, I do. I do enjoy when, for some reason, a character can't lie, and instead they have to like tell half truths. I think that's fun. Okay, I disagree that it's gimmicky. I okay. think it's cool and fun, but sure. <laughs> okay. Uh. Okay, Any anything else on this? Will we talk about the politics a bit more? Sure. So, like I said, I feel like this movie is making fun of some liberals, but I also feel like it is very liberal. And I sometimes, to me, it seems very self-congratulatory. And it's like, look at me, I'm Ryan Johnson, I'm this white guy, but I get it. <laughs> <laughs> It's more gesturing to things than saying anything about them. Yeah, that's very fair. Uh, Yeah, so for example, we have the family gathering in which they're having an argument about Trump. But I'm like, what are you telling us about Trump? Are you telling us anything new or intelligent? Do you have some analysis? Or are you just like, ah, yes, so some rich people love Trump and other rich (laughs) people will tolerate people who love Trump? I don't know. It's like, I'm not getting much out of this. Thanks. Trump bad. Well done. 
it could be me projecting a lot onto the movie and so maybe Ryan Johnson doesn't deserve the credit and I'm just like thinking about things but I felt like that scene where um they were arguing about the Trump was like it was kind of I imagine because it probably wasn't what the movie was actually trying to say but what I got from it was that like for rich people politics is kind of like like a table it's like a tabletop game that they play at a dinner party and it's not anything like actually real that affects them and I think that's why like um like the Meg and Jacob thing was also doing this it's like Meg is a liberal and Jacob is like a Nazi online troll but -hmm. it's just like politics are these things that rich people like play at until things get real and then they can just put them down um but, like, other people, for example, Marta, who had to do all of this because her mom was undocumented. It's, like, not something that you can just throw away when you're, when you're done with it. Yeah, no, I do get what you're saying. And maybe we can read that into this. But I don't know. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not convinced that it goes far enough to articulate this, maybe. Yeah, honestly. I think I'm just making that up. It was just something <laughs> I was thinking about as I was watching the movie. So okay uh yes what else did I have to say um yeah I also feel like it doesn't have much to counter this like racism that we hear from them so like there's a running joke for example when they're like where they, they don't know where Martha's family is from uh yeah. but we never yeah. actually hear where her family is from so it's <laughs> like you're not giving yeah. any, us anything to counter that and I also I feel like her mother being undocumented is just like this this thing that they use as a plot point without any interest in what that means or in her as a person who is undocumented and what her experience is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. That's yeah. what I think. Other people have disagreed. Um, okay. And I guess... Wait, what else did I have to say about this? Da, 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 da. Yes, okay. I'll say, okay, I'll say a bit more bad things and then I'll say something that I did like maybe okay (laughs) so Mm -hmm. I don't I don't like the character of Martha I think she's badly written and I think she like compared to all the other like outlandish characters she kind of fades and is not interesting I think Ryan Johnson was too like trying to make her like again like the perfect minority who succeeds so she's not allowed to have any faults it's not Mm -hmm. just that like I, I understand the message of like being kind and nice is good and in this like horrible world where where we're encouraged to not be kind and that's cool but like she I yeah there's a way to be kind while still being like a human being which she doesn't feel yeah, like to be and interesting yeah I think he was kind of trying to like make her more of a real person as opposed to like these caricatures of all like the thrombies like oh like aren't rich people so weird like look at all these like huge characters and then Marta's like a regular person but they also just made her kind of boring yeah and it's just like it's so it's so ridiculous like oh she's like superhumanly kind she can like she's such an amazing nurse that she can pick up on these things it's just like I don't know give her one fault (laughs) yeah yeah 
and even like when they're like insulting her to her face and she's not like the most she's ever allowed to say back is like oh I'm sure I'll be fine with the resources that I have now and that I have now like she's not allowed to actually say anything back to these people mm-hmm. yeah it just annoys me uh okay so let's say something good about this movie <laughs> Which is not a bad movie, to be clear. None of the complaints were that bad. I feel like they were all reasonable. So okay, there's fine. just a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's, um, yeah. So I do think, one thing I like about this is the way we see all the rich people, like, talking about how they want to look after Marta and they really like her. And we'll, like, yeah, we'll take care of you. We're so charitable. We'll give you money. You're basically family. Yeah. but But then once she has money, they're, like, obviously outraged. And this, and they're like, this can't be. Um <laughs> And then there's a scene in which she is talking to that girl from 30 Reasons Why. What's her name? Catherine Lackford. Yeah, what's her name in the movie? Oh, Meg. Meg. She's talking to Meg and Meg is like, no, I you need to help me because I can't pay for my tuition. And she's like, don't worry, I'll take care of you. And it's just like you can see that she's like horrified at the like this being switched. Yeah, she immediately hangs up on her. And I think it's very interesting because it's meant to be like, this is when the like liberal Meg is actually like faced with having to deal with someone else having resources that she doesn't have mm-hmm. and like how suddenly it's like not okay. Yeah, exactly. And I think it is a good example of like the way the concept of charity is this like tool for the bourgeoisie as opposed mm-hmm. to like actually redistrib- redistributing resources because with charity like they they put they make themselves look like real people and they kind of like justify their place in society while still remaining in control of these resources. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I like that. I thought that was done well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. I did not sound like it pained you to say that. It's a good movie. It's not a bad movie by any means. <laughs> it's a fun time. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Okay, um, I don't know, some other little things perhaps. Uh, I wrote down that I liked that her phone screen was smashed. <laughs> Why? I don't know, I was like, yes, realism. We never mm-hmm. see people with smashed phone screens in movies. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on the cops in this movie and maybe in the role of the police in murder mysteries? I mean, they were kind of forgettable, which was fine with me. I maintain that (laughs) detectives aren't cops. So I'm like, I was fine fully being on Benoit Blanc's like side and watching him do his thing and like kind of forgetting about the cops because they were like, they were kind of just there to record Ransom's confession at the end. Like if they hadn't been there the entire movie, it would have been the same. Uh, So... Yeah. I mean, private detectives are different from cops. Obviously, detectives also exist within the police, so we can't say detectives aren't cops. That's a bit of a okay, big fine. thing. Okay, fine. Private and also, investigators aren't cops. Yeah, and also, I'm not going to go so far as to say I'm okay with all private investigators either. <laughs> <laughs> but mm, sure, they're, yeah, well, they're different, I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess, like, they are kind of, cops are unfortunately kind of inescapable within 
this genre because like realistically people are going to call the police when someone is murdered I guess (laughs) yeah Yeah, and I suppose yeah the best thing you can do is ignore them I think Um, also, just Gordon-Levitt has a voice cameo in this. He I does? have been trying. Yes, I think at the end, like they're calling some other cop, and he's like the voice because I kept hearing that he was in the movie, and when I looked at the cast list, he would be like listed in the cast, but I <laughs> didn't see him in the movie. So it turns out he was just a voice in it. I see. I I would not recognize his voice. I don't think he doesn't have a yeah, very distinctive voice true okay um a couple of other small points uh first of all tony collette's character is it tony no it's someone else i don't know somebody no it's not i don't know somebody refers to meg's (laughs) degree as being a crypto marxist post-deconstructuralist feminist poetry course which i wish was real i would (laughs) love to take that course i would be enrolled right now that sounds amazing yeah just thought that was a fun line. Sign <laughs> me up. Uh, okay. I have another question. Yeah. What do we think about Walt having a cane? I guess it's meant to be this, like, signifier of him being, like, sort of harmless. And then when he, when he and Marta are, like, meeting in like outside her house and suddenly like the camera like focuses on his cane for a second and suddenly it turns into like maybe a weapon mm-hmm. and it it's like I think it's like these people have other because of his resources and his whiteness and everything about him like these people still have power and there's not really like they will always kind of have power over her because of who they are and where they come from so yeah that's maybe a very generous reading (laughs) uh I was just thinking in terms of first of all I was thinking I was thinking that because Hollywood loves to not hire disabled people the fact that somebody in this has a cane is always going to be like a decision that they made like a creative decision because of course they didn't just hire an actor who happens to use a cane and therefore the the character also uses a cane like it's going to be a conscious decision that they're saying something with and I already hate that. And then I was also thinking, like, there is a tendency uh, of people using characters, like, using canes as both, like, uh, to show that they're, like, weak, but also to show that they're, like, sinister and untrustworthy. And I feel like this movie does both. And I don't like yes. it. Uh, I don't know. I think that's all I had to say about this. Do you have any anything else? Mm, I don't think so. Okay. Do you have anything to say about the portrayal of the musical Hamilton, which you have admitted to listening to in this movie? You have also admitted to listening to it. So, no, I haven't. <laughs> um, now, anytime like any movie or TV show mentions Hamilton, it's just cringy. There's no fun in it anymore. When was which it I think fun? personally is sad. It was fun for me for like a second. Cool. Okay. <laughs> I do like I don't, in this. Like, just wake up one morning and decide to hate things like you. So. 
in this movie, it's definitely like meant to be cringy on purpose, but I'd still like would rather not hear about it at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so I guess let's move on to Ready or Not, which is also from 2019, and it is made by some people that I will tell you about in a second when I am doing this loads. Here it is. It is directed by Matt Bettinelli-Alpin and Tyler Gillette, and written by Guy Buswick and R. Christopher Murphy, and it stars... Samara Weaving, who is not Margot Robbie, and Adam Brody, <laughs> and some other people. There are 75 people who look like Margot Robbie. It's very weird. Yes. Um, also, apparently these two people are both Australian. I didn't know Margot Robbie was Australian. It's always wild to be when people are Australian. <laughs> um, okay, so this movie is about... Okay, so, as a child, Daniel Ladomas is confronted with, in his family's mansion by a wounded man named Charles who begs him for help. But Daniel instead chooses to uh, call out to his family, who all come in wearing ceremonial masks and robes, um, despite the Despite the pleas of his bride, Charles is shot with a spear gun and dragged away into a locked room. And that's how the movie opens, and I already decide that I love it. (laughs) So, 30 years later, Daniel's brother Alex, who runs the successful Ladamas Family Games Company, is set to marry Grace, a former foster child. On their wedding day, uh, Grace meets the Ladomases, Daniel and his snobbish wife, Charity, Alex's cocaine-addicted sister, Emily, her oafish husband, Fitch, and their young sons, Georgie and Gabe, Alex's unpleasant aunt, Helene, his parents, Tony and Becky. Um, After the ceremony... Uh, Tony explains that his ancestor, Victor Ladamas, made a deal with a man named LaBelle to build the Ladamas fortune in exchange for the family observing a very specific tradition. Every new member uh, draws a game card from from LaBelle's puzzle box. Um, So, on the night of their wedding instead of having sex as married couples are supposed to do they have to go down to the family games room and grace has to draw a card grace draws hide and seek which is a card that means that basically whoever draws that card they have to hide in the mansion while being chased by the rest of the family and if one of the family members catch them they get to kill them or capture them and use them in a... Well, they have to kill them. It's not that they get to kill them. <laughs> I said have to. I didn't say get oh, to. May- maybe I misheard you. You were projecting. So, <laughs> I mean, they have to capture whoever draws the card and use them in, like, a ritual where they end up dying. <laughs> um, Grace draws this hide-and-seek card. And as she hides, the Ladomases arm themselves. Um, Alex escapes into the mansion's, like, secret passage and finds Grace because he's, like, 
against his family. This whole thing, the whole wedding was kind of Grace's um, idea, and Alex is kind of estranged from estranged from his family before this point. But she wanted to be like part of a family because she was from foster home. Let's put a pin in that because I have a lot of complaints about this Alex guy. But we'll come back to it. <laughs> we all have a lot of complaints about Alex. Um, yes, yeah, so as Alex and Grace are kind of hiding, um, they witness uh, Emily, his sister, uh, kill a maid that she mistakes for Grace. And this is when Grace, like, realizes what the game actually is. Before this, she thought they were just playing a regular game of hide-and-seek, and she thought it was just, like, a cute, quirky family tradition, and they didn't know that she was, they were trying to kill her. Um... So, yes, Alex explains that his family is cursed and they have to play this game uh, to avoid dying. Yeah, if they fail to win the game and if they fail to capture the new member who drew the, drew the card, they will all die at dawn. Um, so, yeah, the family is required to kill the newcomer before dawn. Um, it was played by Helene's husband, Charles, which is the couple that we saw in the beginning. Um, with the mansion locked down, Alex disables the security system to allow Grace to escape. She is discovered by Daniel, who is disillusioned with his family and gives her a head start before alerting the others. Um leading Emily to accidentally kill another maid. Grace escapes. Uh, Grace's escape is blocked by the family butler, Stevens. Um, Alex is restrained by Daniel and Tony after he attacks Tony. Um, Grace is discovered by a third maid, but the maid accidentally crushes herself in a dumbwaiter when she yells for the family. So... Yeah, Grace escapes the stables and finds George, who shoots her in the hand. So George is like a son, a little kid. Um, He shoots her in the hand and she punches him in the face and accidentally falls into a pit where she sees like lots of skeletons and corpses of the Ladones' previous sacrifices. Um, And... Yeah, while she's trying to climb out of this pit, she wounds her hand. She, like, smashes her already wounded hand on a nail and so wounds it again. It's very gross. Um, Yeah, so she's still trying to escape. And she squeezes through. Now she's outside of the mansion. She squeezes through the front gate, um, getting this, like, really gross deep cut on her back but she like squeezes through a broken gate and flags down a car but they just drive off because they're also rich and so they don't care about other people mm-hmm. <laughs> um, pursued by Stevens the butler uh, she fights him off and takes over the like family car she tries to call the police using the car's uh, like I don't know operating system Um, But the operator informs her that the car has been reported stolen and remotely shuts off the vehicle. Stephen then subdues Grace with a tranquilizer um, and, like, is driving her back to the mansion in the car, but she wakes up and attacks him, which leads to a car crash in the woods. 
Um, and then Daniel tracks down and captures Grace. Uh, and then we cut to the ritual where Grace is like tied down to a table and the Ladonises drink from a ceremonial cup and then start vomiting blood. And it turns out that Daniel um, is kind of on Grace's side now. So he frees her um, because he is like the one who poisoned the rest of the family. Um, but as they're running away, Charity, Daniel's wife, shoots Daniel dead because he's like trying to protect Grace and Grace disarms her and then so she pistol whips her and then she bludgeons Tony with a lantern and then she attacks uh she's attacked by Becky who she beats to death with the LaBelle's card box um this whole time Alex has been like tied up somewhere <laughs> so he escapes his restraints and goes to rescue Grace, but she pulls away from him. And so they kind of have a realization that after this, she'll never trust him and will probably, will definitely leave him because this is nuts. And so he decides to uh, turn on her and he captures her and she's tied to the table again to continue the ritual. Um, and then one of them, like, goes to... It's Alex, isn't it? He, like, goes to stab her. As, like, the final ritual thing. I don't know if it's him. One of them, like, tries to stab her, and she turns her shoulder, and it's, like, her last-ditch attempt to get away. Um, and then it turns out that uh, Dawn has broken. And so one of the Ladomuses open the curtain turns out she has survived the entire night and they brace for death but nothing happens for a while so they think they're safe for a second and they uh one of them attacks grace again um and then they all start to explode and alex begs grace to forgive him uh, I don't know why she would, but he begs Grace to forgive him. <laughs> but she refuses, and he explodes and dies with the rest of his family. Wait, uh, and she specifically says, "I want a divorce," and uh, and she throws her ring at him before he explodes. Yeah, it's very cute. <laughs> um, then she brief- briefly sees LaBelle, like the ghost of LaBelle, in his chair, and turns out the like the whole curse thing was real all along. Um, and she works out of the burning manor covered in blood and lights one of Becky's cigarettes as the police arrive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and she has a final one-liner. She's like, oh, in-laws. <laughs> yes. Okay. A great movie. Um, this movie was also fun. It was a fun time. Uh, I enjoyed it more the first time I watched it. I think the second time it was more aware of the ways in which this wasn't exactly a masterpiece. Um, it is definitely very cathartic. Mm. Yeah. Why is that? I don't, it's it's fun. There's a lot of like, especially the first time. I don't know. I think I got much more into like the action of it and the tension, and then the end is very cathartic when everyone explodes. It's a fun time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it is, yeah, it's not exactly a masterpiece. There are perhaps some problems with it. <laughs> wow. Okay. 
What are one of the problems? Okay, for example, where I think I had a quote. Wait, I just want to also mention that Adam Brody is in this, who was in Jennifer's Body. Yes, this is also our second Adam Brody And I've thought about it, and I don't know that he is hot. Maybe this movie just really wants me to think he's hot. I think everyone in the entire world wants me to think he's hot, and I'm not buying it. (laughs) He's not bad looking, he's fine. Yeah, he seems like a nice guy. Does he? I don't know anything about him. <laughs> I don't know anything about him. I know he's married to Blair from Gossip Girl. Sure. Um. Okay, oh, I'm trying to find this quote that somebody... Here we go. This is from The Guardian. It's by Benjamin Lee. That name sounds familiar. Maybe I've quoted this person before. I just want to say, because I'm afraid every time I like quote some random journalist someone's gonna be like how dare you quote this horrible person i don't know anything about these people (laughs) just assume that we don't know anything about anyone that we're talking about so relax i just read these articles i didn't do a background check (laughs) anyway benjamin lee for the guardian says from the outset there's a sharpness missing from the dialogue withering one-liners failing to cut deep barely scratching the surface instead Quite often during the film, wit is replaced with vulgarity and scenes will crescendo with cursing rather than anything smarter. It's hugely overplayed of sli- uh, and the slight of wealthy, well-dressed characters wearing, swearing with such frequency that what the writers might think is audacious or shocking quickly becomes dull. <laughs> Which I think is true. And I, I have nothing against swearing, obviously, but I feel like you need to know how to swear well. And I'm not convinced this movie does. True. I think like my I'm just used to swearing in general because I swear a lot so I don't even notice it and I think yeah that point that they made about like swearing trying to be like audacious and like a big deal really doesn't work in a lot of things because people are used to hearing people swear it's not like shocking anymore yeah I definitely got the sense that they were really trying to be witty with this movie and failing (laughs) (laughs) okay uh but that's yeah it's fine it's a fun movie okay uh I don't know any initial thoughts before we begin analyzing it perhaps um, no, not really. I'm not there for the swearing anyway. I'm more here for the blood, which mm-hmm. I got, so I'm happy. Cool. Uh, do you have any thoughts on the, the gore, the violence in this movie? I don't know. I feel like it could have been... I was going to say it could have been more, like, I don't know, it could have been bigger, more uh, exaggerated, but I don't know, maybe that wouldn't have fit with the movie. It mm. was okay. It was I regular suppose, gore. I suppose it kind of like at the very end it becomes exaggerated. And if it yeah. had if it had been like that throughout the whole movie, it wouldn't have made as big as an impact. It wouldn't have been as fun and as satisfying. That's true. So I yeah, I think I think it's good that they didn't go too over the top most of the time. Um yeah, I don't know. I wasn't I wasn't blown away by the gore, but it was it was fine. It was fun. Uh, I did. I watched a video about the the dress slash dresses in this movie and like the evolution of them and how they had loads of different dresses as they as they like become dirtier and are torn apart and are covered in blood, which I enjoyed. I, I like 
hearing about costume design and yeah. I yes, I enjoyed this opportunity to watch costume design and gore come together. I did want to mention that the image of her, like at one point, um when Grace like realizes that she's going to have to like fight her way out of the situation, uh there's this uh like image of her and she's in yellow uh converse a like ripped wedding gown and has like ammunition like an ammunition belt around her shoulder and she's holding a rifle and it's like one of my favorite movie stills like from 2019 probably I like think about it all the time just randomly it just was so pretty to me I love that Sure, but also I agree with people who have pointed out that it's definitely trying to be like a very cool costume yes, to be a Halloween costume. in being very cool. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Cool. There's nothing. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um. So let me look in my notes. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, oh, one thing I noticed this myself, but then I didn't like I didn't want to pause the movie and write everything down. So I went on IMDb to see if anybody else had also noticed it, and they did. So um, they have like the the games that we see in the cabinet in the family's music room. Is it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, are family ritual, secret council, La Belle's gambit, sunrise, and abracadabra. <laughs> so obviously, a lot of very obvious hints there. Mm. Uh, but I thought yeah that's fun as well I like I like I like when there's thick stuff in the room that you can look at and you're like yeah. look at that <laughs> yeah I also like when there's stuff in a room that you can look at yeah I love that <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, okay let's talk about Alex because I have seen some Ugh. people perhaps being too kind to Alex and I will not stand for it uh, what? kind thing could you possibly say about Alex? For example, oh, here we have Peter De- De Bruges. Did I mention this guy earlier for Knives Out? For Variety? Oh, anyway, he says to his credit, Alex uh, tries tried his best to escape his relatives, but when Grace asked to get hitched, he had no choice but to observe the, mar- the macabre conjugal tradition, whereby each spouse must pass a kind of post-nuptial initiation. I think you're giving him way too much That's credit here. Well, like, did Alex write this? <laughs> he could have. There's lots of things he could have done. He could have told her. He could have warned her. Like, he could have just not married her. <laughs> yes. Okay, first of all, we find out that Alex has been estranged from his family for two years. It has not been that That's long. That's not a long like, time. He lasted, he, he lasted nothing. Uh, like, people he, go two years without seeing their family by accident. It's that's yeah. nothing. And also, he's been dating Grace for 18 months before they get married. So, again, you could have held off the wedding. You could have done a better job at waiting in general. Yeah. Not great. Uh, and, yeah, I get that she really wanted to get married and have a family. Um, but, like, just tell her that you don't speak to your family because they're, like, you can tell them that they're, you can tell her they're Satanists. I understand it's hard to explain. You could do it. <laughs> or you could just tell her that they're, like, really abusive and you don't want to speak to them. Yeah. You, you don't, like, he did not have no choice. Come on now. <laughs> Also, I did I did at first think that he could have just like gotten married without them, but then I realized that's not true because they do talk about people who did get married and didn't play the game and then they like both died. Yeah, they died. So 
I guess that wasn't an option, but he could have not gotten married. Plenty of people do not get married. Yes. And also, in this tradition, what counts as getting married? They could have just done some or- other sort of marriage. Like, I'm sure Le- or LaBelle or whatever is like, marriage is when two people get married in a church. And if you just <laughs> not had a priest there, it wouldn't have counted. I feel like there's lots of loopholes that he didn't even try to explore. Maybe. Um, because LaBelle does seem to have very, like, he seems like a guy who sticks to the rules and he's very exactly. rigid rules. Yeah. So, yeah. Could have gotten married by a friend and that not killed people. <laughs> yes. Uh, so fuck that guy. Try <laughs> try harder. <laughs> okay. Um. What else do we have to say about this movie? I thought, okay, so I was thinking a lot about, like, the concept of old money and like new money and things and how like these aren't uh, these people aren't new money I guess but they're also like the way they acquired wealth is kind of like an American like making it yourself story just like further back like not that recently but like post-civil war there was one Mm -hmm. guy and he wasn't super wealthy and then he was um and I was thinking about how like this brand of American wealth kind of tries to make itself seem more old money and more traditional to like validate itself yeah so we can see that in like the way they stick to these traditions which we find out aren't even like always real traditions like I think the characters mentioned that one of the things oh that's only like something we invented in the 80s it wasn't a real thing so they're like they're they're just there to give the feel of tradition and to make themselves like feel old and maybe more European even to like seem like real like divinely given wealth that is valid I guess Mm -hmm. yeah we also saw that in Knives Out when Ransom is talking about like yeah he's talking about how he doesn't get to keep the house and he's like oh our ancestral family home (laughs) and then was like your dad bought this house from some like real estate guy in the 80s like it's not this like rewriting of history to make like to legitimize your wealth and make it seem like oh this is such like I deserve this because it's been going on forever is like not true you can't Mm -hmm. just make that up yeah yes and then I guess also relating to tradition we see like people in the family have different attitudes towards it so some people are like gleefully accepting it other people are more like well this isn't ideal but I guess there's nothing we can do about it and then Mm -hmm. other people are more like "Ugh, I hate this we're terrible people but they're still going along with it Mm -hmm. and yeah I, I guess the, the message is that the, the results are the same. Like, how you feel about it doesn't matter if, like, you're still keeping this system in place. Yeah. Yes. Um, okay. So we can also draw a connection to Knives Out here in the way they talk about their employees, their servants. Uh, specifically, like, the... I think she's an au pair that, like, they kill, and they're like, she was my favorite. Um, and it's very, yeah. like, like these these are pets that they keep around. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get... So, uh, that's going to be connected to something else in a minute, but I want to cover, like, shorter things, shorter points first. 
Um, okay, let's talk about maybe the rules that Label has set. And so something people have discussed is why Grace like didn't die at the end. Um, which to me seems very obvious, but people seem to not agree with me and have different theories. So let me let me tell you one one thing that I saw on the like the IMDb trivia place, uh, place. Which let me tell you, for both this and Knives Out, I feel like there's a lot of really stupid things in the trivia place on IMDb. For Knives Out, there was like fun fact: when uh, when Ramson, Ransom makes the help call him Hugh, this is a hint that he's just as racist and bad as the rest <laughs> of the family. Or like there, are, there's another one where they're like when when they tell Marta that they wanted to invite her, but they were outvoted the first time. It sounds sincere, but after we hear it repeated, it becomes apparent that it isn't or something. It's like wow. Thank you for explaining that to me. I get it now. It's such yeah, I've never seen a mo- I've never heard a story before. Because this thought They're storytelling just... is crazy. Yeah. Really, really subtle hints there. <laughs> anyway, my my point about uh, uh, this thing. So, um, quote: It's heavily implied that Grace is rejected by Mr. LeBale for two reasons. One, because her motive for marrying Alex was indeed love and not just money, Grace's soul would be more difficult to attain. It's also mentioned that both Charity and Fitch had no issue selling their souls in exchange for the material, whereas Grace longed for a family. And two, Helene draws comparison between herself and Alex, both resisting their destiny by trying to leave the family, only for Mr. LeBale to reject their spouses, forcing them to stay. Mr. LeBay may have sensed that Grace's innocence and purity would lure Alex away from continuing the tradition and disown the family. Which is all very cute, but I think it's bullshit. Nonsense. Um, um, I saw. I also saw like a YouTube comment somewhere. I can't remember the video where they said like, "What saves her is that she asked for a divorce right before Alex dies." Which maybe there's some more to. But I think it's much more simpler, simple than that. I think she just never officially became part of the family because yeah. the rules are. Yeah, the rules are you become part of the family after playing a game. That didn't happen. She's not a part yeah. of the family. The it has nothing not to do apply. with like. Yeah, it has nothing to do with like the wedding or I our idea of the wedding. It's like you join the family after the game is completed and she didn't she like won. So she yeah. never joined the family. So I really think it's just like that's the contract that LaBelle has and she never signed the contract. So it doesn't apply to her. Why yeah. would it? It's it's much more simple than whatever bullshit these people are coming up with. Um, <laughs> although, if I were to come up with some other like really weird take, I would say that the marriage was never consummated, and therefore it can easily be annulled because they don't have sex in the, uh, like after getting married. <laughs> they only have sex before getting married, which does not count. Mm, yeah. yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do you want to talk about what this? is saying about our society or do you want to <laughs> do you want to talk about the ending first what would you rather do um we can do the ending first okay so the ending apparently was quite controversial i think it was some stupid buzzfeed lists for like twists <laughs> that ruined the movie <laughs> no when so will what... buzzfeed pay for their crimes yeah forcing people to not know how to watch a movie <laughs> <laughs> So what what do you think? Would you like to defend the ending, please? 
I mean, like what part that they all exploded? I or... guess I guess specifically that the curse, the the deal is real, and that the supernatural does exist. And people didn't like that. I guess. I don't know why people hate fun. Um, I like having fun. I like supernatural <laughs> stuff. Um, you have no proof that ghosts don't exist, so I don't know why you'd be angry about it. I don't know. I feel like we knew. I mean, at least for me, I'm not one to question the validity of things that people tell me. So if a movie is like, if a movie is like, oh, there was this, there's this ghost, and it, they're saying like, if you don't do this ritual, you'll die. Like, I'll probably believe it. I'm just not, I don't know. I guess I'm always open to the idea of supernatural things happening in movies. So I never like questioned it. So at the ending, it wasn't really a reveal so much as a confirmation of something that I already believed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess, like, number one, it is very satisfying. I don't want to see these people go to jail. I want to see them explode. Yeah. Um. And number, okay, number two. So one way I would find this ending problematic, perhaps, <laughs> is if I were to argue that it justifies the family's actions like oh look they were right to do this because they like it's real and they were yeah they they were right to kill people to save themselves because this is a real thing that exists but then my counter argument to that would be like the point is that it's still not okay to kill people like the whole point of this movie like it's throughout this movie we see people sacrificing others to like preserve themselves Mm -hmm. uh so it doesn't matter that it's real they it's still like they still shouldn't be doing it yeah okay um all right i had another quote here that i think that i wanted to fight with from someone oh this is from david elrich elrich who i think i've heard something about i think people don't like him anyway um, <laughs> he says brody's character who sighs that you'll do pretty much anything if your family says it's okay helps deepen the film's class commentary into a into a half-hearted exploration of inherited moral codes and the inertia that allows them to pass from one generation to the next. No one's going to confuse this for the white ribbon, but the movie is at its best when it shows a little sympathy for the devil. I would say, is it? What do you think? I'm confused about what they're saying. Maybe I wasn't listening properly, but what does that mean? (laughs) So, according to this guy, it it is good that the movie shows some sympathy for the rich people and shows that they have feelings, and it is at its best when it remembers that. No. I'm going to have to disagree. (laughs) I didn't take that as... I didn't take that line as encouragement to have sympathy for that family I guess that like explaining why something is happening isn't necessarily like to me at least doesn't necessarily mean like it's okay that it's happening like an explanation doesn't automatically equal sympathy so I guess like I just took that line as an explanation of why this has been happening t- for so long, but I didn't feel any sympathy towards the family. Mm. Like, I guess we've talked about this before in the podcast, but it's of course, like, it's of course true that these people are like 
human beings and we should maybe remember that yeah um but like i don't think we need to be told that like pretty rich boys have feelings i think we've been told (laughs) that enough i think we that's like the default actually you don't need to it's fine yeah it's not revolutionary uh okay so what is this movie saying about the society that we live in So, I guess what struck me about the movie is not just that it is being critical of very rich people, and these are very rich people, like comically rich, they have a music room, Um, but I think... (laughs) You don't have to be that rich to have a music room. Do you have a music room? I don't have a music room. Don't you have a music room? It's between two living rooms? That's a music room and a living room. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's, it's between the drawing room and the what else what else is it whatever anyway <laughs> anyway it's not just really rich people that are implicated in this but it's kind of like everyone it's like the more middle class people and even some of the lower class people that we see in this movie so we see these like class traitors who will side with yeah. the bourgeoisie again and again uh, in an attempt to preserve themselves who are afraid to go against the status quo um we see this with like the people that the family have employed we see this with justin the customer service person in the car that she is driving who she asks to call the police and who tells her that he has to shut down the car because he's just doing his job and his hands are tied yeah and I feel yeah. like yeah go ahead like I know those like the the um caretaker being like crushed in the dumbwaiter and Justin like in the car refusing to call the police are the same thing but I feel especially angry towards Justin because like like for the girl who was like running away from people trying to kill her it was a more immediate danger (laughs) and for him he was just like I don't feel like getting in trouble at work right now so I'm not going to help you and I think like Grace literally told him that people were trying to kill her and he was like oh I don't want to get like yelled at by my boss so I'm not going to call the police like I don't know something about it was like a lot worse in my opinion no it definitely is especially if we were to treat them as like real things but within the text of the movie i think they're both part of the same thesis i guess yeah yeah i don't know and i guess that i guess i like that i guess it's good for us who are not incredibly rich to remember that we are also implicated and we also are often part of the problem I don't know. Is there anything else I'm saying about society? I don't know what they were saying about... um, I guess we already talked about it, but I thought it was interesting that they included kids, like children, being, like, complicit in these, like, terrible things that were happening, both at the beginning when, like, Alex and Daniel were younger, and then Emily's son... I don't know what his name is, but he, like, literally shoots Grace. And, like, I don't know. I've never seen another movie, like, paint kids as the bad guys in that way before. 
I think but, I have, but I can't think of any examples right this second. Yeah. Yeah, but like, it is. It is a lot. Yeah, yeah, it is always quite because it is like there's definitely some truth to it because children. Yeah. Yeah, but it's always kind of heartbreaking. Mm. Yeah. And like, how how upset can you really be with them because they're like like whoever said that line about if your family says it's okay then it is they're still in that stage where like your family saying it's okay is all the information you have like you haven't been exposed to other like Mm. ways of life really so it's not like you're making a conscious decision at that age but you're still like part of this terrible thing that's happening yeah and when they're trying to kill you i guess you don't care why they're trying to kill you yeah uh yeah i don't know any any final thoughts on this movie (laughs) i guess we don't have that much to say about it i guess not yeah that's it uh oh i really hated the sister what's her name emily I loved her. Oh, Melan, what's her name? Melanie Scroffino is in. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's Winona Earp. It's a TV show that's like it's a Canadian TV show. It's a great show. It's like one of the biggest shows for lesbians on the internet. They're <laughs> obsessed with it. It's really good though. I would recommend it. Um, it's like if you like Western stuff she's like a gunslinger but there's also supernatural parts because her family is cursed it's great Mm. great show i liked her i liked the like coked up energy i thought it was fun (laughs) i just she really annoyed me because she's doing that like oh i'm a baby i don't know what i'm doing i'm so awkward thing which is i know is meant to be annoying in the movie but it wasn't i think it was also meant to be funny and it wasn't to me so whatever I don't think it was meant to be funny. I think it was just like, like, women do do that and like put on that character to be like, yeah, don't be mad at me. <laughs> I'm a ditz. So <sighs> even though I'm like shooting people. Yeah, I don't know. Could have been better. Um, okay, I guess that's all we have to say about Ready or Not. What can we, to sum up, what can we say about both of these movies in conversation? What can we say? (laughs) Rich people are bad. Eat the rich. (laughs) Uh, But also look within yourself. Eating the rich is not enough. (laughs) Eat the rich inside you. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, did you you think Tony Collette's character in Knives Out killed her husband? No. Oh. Is that like a thing? I don't know. They said he died, and I was like, she killed him. <laughs> but I don't I've... think she's that kind of character. Yeah, I think she would be too busy with Instagram to like kill her. Husband. I don't know. She's like Gwyneth Paltrow, and I can see Gwyneth Paltrow murdering someone. <laughs> I can't see Gwyneth. I feel like people give Gwyneth Paltrow way too much. I can't see her murdering someone. I don't think she's cool enough. <laughs> <laughs> she's like she'd poison someone with some like weird. It'd be some, like, organic poison. Maybe by accident. Maybe. I don't know. I would, (laughs) anyway, no, this is just to say that I've said this before, but I think a woman killing her husband is her business, and... Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to judge her for that. I'm going to judge her for other things, but not for that. That's fine. (laughs) Okay. 
If you like this podcast, you could go to patreon.com slash salmoncasey and give us money and also gain access to lots of cool bonuses. We have a whole extra podcast there. Uh, mm. You could also send us an email about it at salmoncaseysmovieclub at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and Curious Cat at salmoncaseypod. Rachel Weiss and Daniel Craig, this is where you can contact both of us <laughs> if need be. Um, if you would like to see our show notes or some transcripts, you can go to salmoncaseysmovieclub.wordpress.com. And finally, we would really appreciate it if you rated and reviewed us on iTunes, even if it is to say something bad. And also we have individual Twitter accounts, which I forgot about. What is yours? My Twitter is Casey Nosa. And mine is Cosmic Jellies. So, thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.